again, Memphis, and welcome to Storyboard 30. This is the show taken right out of the pages of Storyboard Memphis, the nonprofit publication that brings you the arts, community, and culture in one place. And I am Mark Fleischer, publisher of Storyboard Memphis and your host of Storyboard 30. This is a special edition of our show, a discussion of Memphis music, and specifically our live music scene, and how throughout this pandemic it has suffered for going on a year now. Of course, there aren't many parts of the community that have not suffered, including our school systems and the communities already suffering in poverty, to name but a few. But in a discussion of Memphis live music scene, we aren't talking about just music venues and musicians, but what is called our entire live music ecosystem. This ecosystem includes not just our local musicians and venues, but venue owners and managers, servers and crew members, bartenders and chefs, food and beverage delivery workers, and more. Venues are the place where the coming together and the art happens, but that doesn't just happen. That's Marvin Sockwell, friend to Storyboard Memphis and a community advocate and public relations expert. Marvin is also a musician, having co-founded the punk band Pez back in 1989, right here in Memphis. Pez cut its first guitar strings at the old Antenna Club on Madison. And after 30 plus years, Marvin knows a thing or two about the live music scene and the local support needed to give bands new and old a stage to do their thing. Uh, it takes a, a different kind of support. Uh, it, it takes Skinny at the high tone uh, thinking through how to take care of his, of his wait staff, how to have them scheduled, how to treat them with respect such that uh, that's a dynamite place to work at. Uh, and and then, then you get a good vibe because, oh, it's this person I know. I know the guy behind the bar. Oh, hey, how's it going? That, again, is like not something you can just spend to make happen. That's a culture that you create as a person. And in, in, in a way, that's, that, is a, uh, that is definitely a part of the, the collaboration itself. That collaboration he talks about, it reverberates in all of our venues. Venues as large as the Orpheum and Overton Park's Levitt Shell, as intimate as places like the High Tone, Ernestine and Hazel's, Bar DKDC, places north and south, in neighborhoods as economically and racially diverse as Memphis itself. These aren't just places, so much brick and mortar and drywall. They are incubators, musical playgrounds for musicians just learning their craft, like kids learning to swim by jumping into the water. These venues provide a laboratory for growth, you know. That's Steve Selvage, one of Memphis' most prominent, recognizable local musicians and aficionados, part of a now legendary Memphis rock and roll family. I've been on the road since I was 21 years old, probably. Um, so that's, you know, 20 plus years. Uh, and, you know, I've played some big gigs, played some small gigs, but honestly, some of the most substantial exponential growth that I've ever had was here in town, like with regular gigs. It wouldn't have happened were it not for those venues, for those people. The people he's talking about, the people in the places, the pubs, the taverns, the lounges, the bars and dive bars, the music rooms, the juke joints, the honky-tonks, the shacks, the gardens, the halls, the hideaways, the cafes, the clubs, the coves. These are the places and the culture that are part of our heritage. A huge part of what makes Memphis, Memphis. The places where blues and rock and roll were allowed to grow, 
thrive, incubate, the culture that attracts visitors from the Mid-South, from around the country and around the world. The place that people travel to as a sort of pilgrimage to feel, see, and hear where rock and roll was born, where the blues call home, where jazz and R&B thrive, where drum beats, bass licks, and Memphis voices speak to and inspire our very souls. These are among the authentic and original places we can't afford to lose. The places in the culture we are going to need to reoccupy and plug back into once this pandemic is over. If there hadn't been independent venues, we wouldn't have had a place to play. At the outset, and almost at any point along our uh, art of being a band up to the current day. And so for this special Storyboard 30 discussion, we spoke to Steve Selvage and Marvin Stockwell back in December about the state of our live music scene and what we as a city and a country are doing or not doing to keep the drum beating before guys like Steve and Marvin can plug those amps back in and do what Memphis does best. We also visited Brian Skinny McCabe, owner of High Tone, his new High Tone space on Cleveland, just south of Crosstown Concourse. We set up on his empty stage upstairs and talked about the unique struggles of our live music venues in 2020 and now into 2021. I asked him, what's 2020 been like? It's like being kicked in the uh, privates with a different shoe every day. <laughs> Does that work? <laughs> yeah. It, it's, been, it's been a casserole of nonsense. It's, it's been the wildest ride. Yeah. Humanly impossible, I think. Yeah. It's been a nightmare. When word of the shutdown came in March of 2020, Skinny and his crew had already been in the process of moving from his old high-tone space, just south of the Crosstown Concourse, to his new space further south on Cleveland, between Peach and Larkin Avenues. Yeah, we thought it was going to be a pretty quick turnaround. And then, you know, every day it just got worse and worse and worse and more things get shut down and, and stay at home and stuff. And so then we ended up having all the time in the world to get this place ready. Yeah. <laughs> Which it, that is like a, probably the only good thing that has come out of all of this. Because my timing was strange. Mm -hmm. I had just got the place. We had just started knocking some walls down. Um, and I honestly, like, I kind of had a plan how I was going to make it work down there and down here because my whole calendar was full it was full all the way till right now yeah i mean i you know i have annual events uh, I, I, we do queer fest we do super tea on thanksgiving and christmas we there's annual events uh, hardcore fest was canceled um and then everything it was like you know i think it was like right before the uh, the week of uh saint patty's day is when everything just started canceling and I was like, whoa, people are canceling two, three months away from now. Um, and then, I mean, because we, we pride ourselves on doing over 400 shows a year. I don't ever have an exact amount because with the small room and the big room going at the same time, I'm a scheduling machine, I, which is so weird because I'm like late for stuff all the time. But I can tell you what I had on the books, you know, six months from now or something. Um, and, yeah, and then everything just started dropping like flies, and it was like, oh, well, what do we do now? Yeah. And then the first round of CARES Act aid was passed. Payroll protections. 
grants from the Small Business Administration. I applied, we got a, we got a grant right away, um, which was great. But then um, I had to end up taking, which I didn't want to, a, a loan, an economic injury disaster loan or whatever, the EIDL. Mm -hmm. I ended up having to get one of those or I would have completely lost. I mean, like, like I said about the timing for me, it was so crazy because I just bought this place. I've been saving for years. Mm -hmm. to, I don't come from a wealthy family. Like I've been working, you know, all my adult life to save and then buy something, save buy a house, save buy a business, save buy a building now. And it was so weird because, uh, you know, I had X amount of dollars. It took X amount of dollars to make this happen. And then everything was budgeted, but with also the plans of the, cause you can, you know, you run your P and L's, your reports for every year, you pretty much know what you're going to be making, what, what's going to be coming in. And then when that was just, un, you know, completely dropped to zero, it was like, oh, well, I had, you know, I got loans to pay back. I got, I got creditors and, and everything. It's like, well, how do I even, because it, I don't know, it's just been crazy. Like I said, I saved and saved and saved to get the building, hoping that we had the income to, to come in to sustain everything. Luckily, the SBA has, uh, they paused our mortgage. I was supposed to start paying in March. They paused it for six months. And then like right toward the end of that six months, around September, um, they're, they're gonna pay the first six months of the mortgage itself. So that, that's, that worked out great. But now here we are three months into that, them paying of that six months and there's no end in sight. What do we do after that six months? Because we're, we're at such limited capacity. It, getting people out, even if it's safe, we could be the safest place on earth. People aren't coming out. And your friends get tired of seeing you enough and spending money at your place that you, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's got, something's got to be done. I asked Skinny about that ecosystem we talked about, the live music ecosystem of people, workers, Everyone affected by the shutdown. Yeah, you've got uh, me, the owner, then your bartenders, your door personnel, um, and then the cleaning crew. Like we, had, you know, we've got a, a wonderful person, Trina, that that used to clean. And I was like, well, there's no customers to dirty the place up, so we don't need you anymore. You know, it trickles all the way down, you know, to her. And then if you want to, you know, get into it, like. This has affected so many people's mental health and uh, domestic abuse is on the rise. Child neglect is on the rise. I mean, you, you got people that, you know, they love each other and everything, but spending every waking moment in lockdown staring at the same person, you know, some people can't deal with that very, very well and don't know how to communicate as much. So then on the industry side of it, you've got um, ticketing companies. You're not having shows. You don't have, what do these people do? Booking agents, they're not booking anything because nothing's open. Uh, the musicians themselves, people that have had part-time jobs here and there, and then they'll take off on tour for, you know, tour the country for three months, make, make a good living and blah, blah, blah. Now they've got to find something full-time at home. Um, people in the, ki the kitchens that work in the restaurants and nightclubs and bars and stuff like that. I mean, the suppliers, we're not open. They're not selling goods to us. 
uh, the beer vendors, the, the liquor vendors. Now the, the, the bar side has gone down exponentially because everything shut down for so long, but people are still drinking and buying from grocery stores and liquor stores and stuff like that. So that's gone through the roof. But the other, so they've kind of, they're still down. I've talked to all my liquor reps all the time. They're trying to think of creative ways to make a dollar as well. So, I mean, you know, everybody on this side is people, like I said, the ticketing companies, the musicians, the, the cleaning crew, they, I mean, everybody's just hurt. Yeah. So this is going to be the small room. Oh, okay. Bathrooms back there, and then we got like a storage area, kitchen area right there. Before we sat down, Skinny took me on a tour of the new space. At two floors, it occupies the space of a former restaurant and sports bar and grill. The downstairs is an old, dark, smoky bar with a cigarette machine and a few 1960s-era lounge sofas with a mishmash of old photos and thrift store paintings like that classic of the cigar-chomping dogs at a poker table. And then this will be the lounge that will be open seven days a week. But this is an awesome space. I mean, this is... Yeah, it's, it's pretty this cool. This is what you think of when you think of Midtown Thank bars you, yeah. and stuff. Like, this is it. Yeah, we tried to keep it just almost the same as it was over there. Yeah. With my little stupid, quirky flair. Oh, perfect, yeah. Of stuff. Give yeah. people, always give people something to look at. Yeah. Um, yeah, we built... The, I bought a bunch of slabs um, of the old Imperial bowling lanes. Oh, yeah. Um, and we built the bar, the bar top upstairs is what that's made of. And then I had, we had some left okay. over, so we made a coffee table out of it down here. And that's the old big green couch from, I heard at one point it came out of a Masonic Lodge on Overton Park. Okay. Uh, but it's been around the town for a hot minute. Oh, the stairwell is painted a deep red with the black and white high tone logo splashed over the red walls mid-stairs. Overlooking Cleveland Street, the upstairs is more wide open with another bar and more corners and lounges to simply hang out. This is where the high tone's main stage resides, back by 1930s casement windows and a view of the mammoth Sears Crosstown building a couple blocks up. The place already has that vibe you'd want and expect from a live music venue. Part honky-tonk, part tavern, part lounge. It feels ready, aching almost, to entertain into the wee late night hours of beer, drums, and electric guitars. But it's not ready for that, not yet. I asked Skinny what his thoughts were about 2021 and how the high tone is going to survive into the new year. Uh, we've we've completely transformed into a restaurant now. We've got a new chef. The food is amazing. We've gotten food uh, reviews from almost everybody that's been in here. The food is fantastic. We do we're doing comedy shows because in one of the ordinances in the last ordinance, you can't have bands screaming, yelling, playing louder uh, than people are talking at a table. Now, I don't know how you want it. that's in the ordinance. Yeah, but there's no decibel level. It just says bands can't be playing at a volume that would impede on customers having a conversation at a table. So we we can't do <laughs> we can't do high tone shows. 
we can't do high tone esque shows. So luckily, I know every comedian in town and said, okay, now we're a restaurant slash comedy joint. And we've been doing comedy on the weekends. Even when the health department popped us the other night, it was a surprise visit. Um, I was on my way home actually when they pulled up, commended us on having microphone covers. Uh, disposable microphone covers that every comedian switches out when they get done with it. We sanitize the microphone, everything. We're, we're trying to go above and beyond here. They, she, she loved it. She popped in on a comedy show, which was really weird having a Shelby County Health Department and a uh, uh, Sheriff's Department officer escorting them around the building, taking notes. It's pretty funny. Um, I don't know. Uh, like... I don't even want to guesstimate. I don't even want to take a swing at it because we just got to keep rolling with the punches and tell people to wear their masks and just practice basic hygiene. You know, wash your hands just a little bit longer. Um, sing Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. That's, that's, that's the allotted amount of time. I get my daughter to do it, it's easy. She's not even five years old. She will wear a mask anytime we go anywhere you ask. Daddy, it's hot. Sorry, babe, got to do it. Okay. You know, yeah. we've got grown-ups running around screaming about how it's impeding on their rights. I, I don't understand it. So, you know, it, it could... It, I don't see it getting any worse, um, but I don't see it getting any better anytime soon. So I don't know. Hopefully toward toward the third quarter of 2021 we can start getting to somewhat back to what i don't even want to say normal because that's not nothing's normal anymore yeah um i'm gonna to have to relearn how to book bands i haven't booked anything in <laughs> a really long time i did it for 15 years and then it was just like oh well what do i do now yeah but like i said i, I i'm hopeful not even optimistic that uh that Third quarter next year, we'll hopefully see some kind of gatherings being allowed. Hope and optimism. Against the huge unknowns of today's world where plans and goals and incomes, like leaves blowing in the wind, are ever elusive and just all over the place. It's so stressful not knowing if you have your livelihood. Something that I've worked for my entire adult life. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it's, yeah. it's rare that um, I started as a door guy, worked all the way up through the rungs. Now I'm an owner, and the last pinnacle of that was to own my own building. Yeah. And that happened about two, maybe three weeks before uh, yeah. <laughs> everything shut down. I was like, yeah. wow, I picked a really terrible time, but there's no way to know it, really. So. Just trying to weather the storm, really. One of the hardest things about being in the live music biz is um, we don't have anything to export. Right. You have to come to us to attain our product. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Whether it be tangible or intangible, you know, we we can't we can't resell anything. Yeah. You know, other than the food. Yeah. Which. Yeah, you can't you can't come in and say, let me get my live music to go at all. <laughs> yeah, at all. <laughs> I mean, you know, like live music to go. Wouldn't that be something? But who would want that? Especially in a town whose biggest cultural export is its music.
Back to our conversation with Steve Selvage. We asked him about what Memphis might look like without these venues, without the taverns and lounges and dive bars. Um, you know, not as fun, not as outwardly creative. I mean, COVID notwithstanding, you know, you, the talk about old guard, new guard. One thing I've realized is that people are still picking up instruments and playing, mm-hmm. and and they're you know, and they're enthusiastic about it. Like guitar, people are like, oh, the baby boomers are going to die, and guitars. Man, there's a lot of kids. There's a lot of women. There's a lot of people, mm-hmm. non-binary, that are picking up the guitar, and some companies are stepping up to meet that and it's encouraging to see mm-hmm. um, just you know from my standpoint it's just being a generation removed you know so these people are they're, they're pick, the enthusiasm for creating something is like there is a, a disease that can take that away so yeah, yeah the venue is just for right now at least has changed right you know yeah. um, we may lose some you know but hopefully we'll come back and maybe somebody will pivot and something something else will happen you know uh-huh. i mean this is big obviously but yeah. pandemics recessions i mean i i, I remember plenty of recessions you know yeah. that would play and th- there's a, a variety of things that can take out a venue and it's tenuous at best mm-hmm. you know so um i think hopefully we can get back maybe not normal but back to gathering and playing yeah. you know and I, I think I think the enthusiasm there's at least going to be an initial wave of like let's this is what we took for granted like oh I don't want to go out tonight you know right maybe there's going to be like a, a surge of just you know yeah um, but I think people have done a good job of still being creative you know in yeah. the face of this and just uh, it's just you know, what sort of support we can get for venues and, and musicians and stuff. I mean, it's, it's interesting because from my perspective, at least, you know, I listen to the news what I, when I can. And, you know, you hear a lot about rightly so about frontline workers and stuff like that. And, and, and they mention like the gig economy, but really when they say that, I feel like they're talking more about like Lyft drivers and stuff like that. I haven't heard any one conspicuous thing of like working musicians, like even on something like NPR, which is liberal and creative or whatever. Mm-hmm. There's, I, I, I've, I don't know if I, there's like an invisibility to it. Like that it's never like there are people who make their money, not big rock stars, but people that chose a life of creativity and music and making music and communing with their friends or whoever they make music with because they know that bond is special. Mm-hmm. I haven't heard a word about it. Haven't heard a word about it. He's right. With the turmoil of 2020, we didn't hear much about it. This ecosystem of live music and the lives of musicians and bartenders and servers and bar owners. Last year, to help bring this conversation more to the attention of the country and Congress, the National Independent Venue Association, NEVA, was born. And one of its co-founders equated the live music ecosystem to that of a coral reef that needs to grow organically, be protected, and nurtured. Mm -hmm. I mentioned this concept during our conversation with Marvin Stockwell. Oh, that's a really interesting analogy. So in in the same way that 
If you don't have willing participation, you can't build this ecosystem. Uh, and there's not enough money in it to justify it, right? There, there's this X factor, this kind of alchemical mix of motivations that all add up to uh, a full life, a, a full heart, right? And so people are usually in it because they, they love music, they love people, they love that community, they love the pulling together. I know we, we saw that uh, uh, for sure when in the years that uh, J.D. Rieger, Jeff Hewlett, and I were pulling together Rock for Love, the benefit for church health, is that the music community always knew, oh gosh, you know, it's great that there's a place where our musicians can receive, who don't have health insurance can receive medical care. But the music community, and I mean the labels, the studios, and the bands, and the venues, had never been asked to give back to a charity within the context of what they were all about. That was the strength of that show, is that the music community rallied together to back something that they knew was, there was a helper to them. So like, to see that, to see that energy and that, that willingness, no, no, no one had to do that. Uh, the, the, the people pulled together and pulled that off because they wanted to do it, right? So it's, it's the willing part. It's, it's a willing participation. It's a willing, make, a willingness to make shared sacrifices, to pull together, to, to, to stay extra, to help somebody load their gear when you're already tired and you want to go home. That energy comes from the desire and this kind of shared sense of responsibility of everyone in that ecosystem. And if any of it breaks down, you know, it, it, it's like uh, you're, you're really starting, the, the entire scene suffers. Uh, and so like, it is like, uh, I don't know what you'd say, a three-legged stool, but it, it's a support system. Like, it's like, if you don't have all the things in place, it's mutually supporting and sustaining. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have that, it breaks down. Mutually sustaining. Sounds a lot like community. I asked Marvin about that. How important are these places to our sense of community? I think that um, if you look at the kind of constellation of venues, uh, and you know, in my, my civic uh, uh, life, I, I, I've been working for the last six years on stuff to reactivate the Mid-South Coliseum. So like, that's, that's an enormous venue compared to the venues that we're really talking about. Uh, but, uh, but still, I mean, the same principles are involved. It's like bands who can command a certain audience size need all the venues all along that continuum. Uh, such that they can grow, right? And they need certain scenes or audiences, and, and certain people like a, a particular setting. Oh, you know, the Buccaneers, my bar, or like, oh, uh, oh the, I'm, I'm more of a, a high tone. But quite frankly, most people go to all these places, right? Uh, but there are, there, people have preferences. So, like, Memphis is just big enough to where uh, local gigging musicians can kind of like tour around and play the different kind of parts of the scene or. Uh, places where people go. I, ju I just think that like, you need venues of different sizes and different varieties. I don't think it's an overstatement to say Memphis has one of the more, most diverse, kind of funky, eclectic, only happens here music scenes in the whole world. And to be a part of that um, is, is, is such a huge uh, honor, especially given our legacy. Legacy, there's so much more to discuss there. And we will, in part two of this special episode. We'll take a deeper dive into that live music legacy, and we'll discuss if the Save Our Stages Act, passed in late December, has yet to make a positive impact in helping to keep our venues from having to close for good.
You've been listening to Storyboard 30 from Storyboard Memphis and WYPL. And this has been your host, Mark Fleischer. A big thank you to Brian Skinny McCabe, Marvin Stockwell, and Steve Selvich for joining us for this discussion. You'll hear more from them in part two. And as always, thanks to producers Vance Durbin, Stephen Usry, Antonio Smith, and to broadcast manager Tommy Warren, and to WYPL and the Memphis Public Libraries for their support, and of course to you listeners. Join us for part two next time on Storyboard 30. And Memphis, make it a great week, and stay safe out there.